We live in a world of constant distraction. From the phones in our pockets or purses to the busy schedules that keep us from doing what matters most. This may be the worst time in history to step away from the noise and cultivate a praying life. But that's all about to change. Hi, I'm Charles Morris, and this is the Great Stories Podcast, and today I'm reaching deep into the Haven archives to visit with a good friend. If you've ever heard me talk about my old pastor and mentor, Jack Miller, then you might be surprised that his son Paul wrote a fascinating book on how to cultivate a vibrant prayer life called A Praying Life, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. Back in 2009, we used his book as a springboard for our conversation exploring what all the Bible teaches about prayer and how that ultimately leads us to Jesus. It's a modern classic, and I know it will inspire you to turn your time with the Lord into an irreplaceable part of your day, every day. Let's get started. This is Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris. We have an old friend of mine. I've known him for 25 years on the program, Paul Miller who's just written a book called A Praying Life, Connecting with God in a Distracting World. Welcome to this West Coast program, even though you're on the East Coast. Oh, thank you, Charles. It's good to be with you. Paul, why is it hard for Christians who know we should pray to pray? You know, one of the reasons, Charles, a little different twist on it, is that we try to do it right when we try to pray. We try to concentrate and we try to get the order of prayer right and the right amount of praise and worship. And the result, because we are so focused on doing it right, is that it becomes very frustrating. You try to concentrate for five minutes and you last about 30 seconds, your mind wanders off. So, you you know, you, you try to correct yourself. You know, you sort of get spiritually determined, I'm going to do it right this time, and you launch into that prayer again. And, you know, you go so far and you bag and give up and you, you finally think, you know, I might as well get something done. And so you stop praying because you just, you, you, you conclude that you are not spiritual and that this doesn't work for you and that something's odd with or, you. Or if you're trying to be spiritual, you just right. need to get something done, roll up your sleeves and go right. to work for the Lord. You might as well Lord. just sort of be an American and, you know, that was a big waste of time. It just made you feel guilty. I would say guilt is the most frequent feeling that people have associated with prayer. Guilt and frustration. Right. But how do you try to get spiritual when you know you should be spiritual to get to God? And the answer is that you don't try to be spiritual. You just come as you are. And I take that right out of the Gospels and Jesus' own teaching where he says, Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, uh, and I will give you rest. And what people, what Christians try to do is they try to unweary themselves. And they try to come to God better than they really are. And the result is that their prayer is not authentic because it's not the real you. And it is so freeing for people to think, oh, I don't have to be something I'm not. I can come to God angry. I can come to him frustrated. I can come to him with my mind wandering. It, you know, and in our seminars, we'll actually unpack, okay, what does it mean to be weary and heavy laden? You know, you can't even concentrate. You're so frustrated. And that, that's how God wants you to come to him. He, you know, he doesn't want you to create some artificial spiritual you that doesn't exist. Right, right. I, I think what you said in your new book, A Praying Life, about developing an eye for Jesus is beautiful. So here comes the story. 
one of my greatest struggles in prayer is cynicism. And when I began to realize this and think about it, reflect on it, and realize that the answer to cynicism really was to become like a little child, to focus on the shepherd and not on the darkness, uh, it was very freeing to me. But one, one quick example of a way out of cynicism was in this part-time tax business I had, I had come in in the morning and deleted a program I shouldn't have at about eight o'clock in the morning, and I got what they call the blue screen of death. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the computer was gone. I destroyed the whole computer. It was early in the tax season. We had an 11.30 tax appointment. And I was running around. I had a preparer helping me. We were trying to get it fixed. We, you know, we, we, we told her 11.30 would be ready, you know, in, in just a few minutes. And, you know, it was 12 o'clock. <laughs> one o'clock. We didn't do her return till three o'clock. She waited in our uh, office for three and a half hours and never complained once. <laughs> you should have given her kidding. her tax return. And, and this is Philadelphia, sort of the city of complaining. <laughs> and I drove her home just as a thank you. And I asked her, I, I kind of thought she might be a believer. And I asked her uh, if Jesus, just out of the, I was so frustrated. I was so depressed with myself. I was so cynical. And I just asked her if Jesus meant anything to her. And I was not witnessing to her. I wanted to be a witness too. I was soliciting someone to witness to me. And she said, Jesus is with me all the time. I talk to him all the time. And I was so convicted of my sin that here I had wondered about the relevance of Jesus and Jesus is sitting in front of me in the tax office the whole time. So developing an eye for Jesus is probably the best cure for cynicism. Mm. We've talked about your family and uh, the Lord blessing you with your fourth child, Kimmy, who is autistic, and how Kim, now in her 20s, I guess, the Lord used Kim in your life to get you to pray, right? Yeah, that's right. Like with my daughter, Kim, every morning, she, she's got significant disabilities. And I prayed this morning when she pours her milk for her breakfast, it can be a nightmare. It can go all over the table. She can't see. She can only see out of one eye. And, you know, she misses her glass and her fine motor's not very good. And she doesn't listen to me tell her to stop. And I want her to learn so she's got to get through it. So I just pray while she's pouring. The Lord blessed you with Kimmy. Yes, Tell us a little bit about Kim. She has autism. She actually has a syndrome called 1P36. It's a random chromosome deletion. Uh, Autism, uh, developmental delay, problems with fine motor. But she is the delight of our life, too. She was just one of the many ways that God used to humble us and break us and teach us to pray. It really, she uh, was God's gift to our family, although initially we didn't think of it that way. God needed to get through to you. Yeah. And, yeah. and Kim was one of those ways. Yeah, yeah, she was. When Jill was pregnant with Kim, she prayed that using Psalm 121, that God would keep uh, this daughter from all harm, or son, we didn't know what it was, and then when Kim was born, we had a harm daughter. And that gap between hope and reality became a desert for both of us, but my wife in particular. And that desert is the place where God humbled us. 
and continues to humble us. I mean, I was at church picnic yesterday, and I spent most of my time working with Kim. So it just it gives my whole life a different feel. And that's just such a gift. You know, I'm just constantly reminded of how weak I am, of how dependent I am, which is really the heart of a spirit of praying. Having Kim in your family life affected not just you and your wife, Jill, but all the family. For instance, there there was a point in your life when, when prayer seemed pointless. And I know that's been the case with all of us. That that was very true. And it was also true yesterday. And it'll be true. I'll be fighting with it tomorrow because I find my heart just drifts in that direction. And even when God is answering prayer. So part of my whole prayer life is every day saying, Lord, teach me to pray again. And, and the reason that's hard is because I drift into self-confidence and prayer seems like an add-on. It'll just feel that way. I'm thinking yes. about your daughter losing her contact. Yes. Yeah. To, would you mind just telling us sure. that story? We were camping, and I think I had five of the kids with me. It was the time Jill said she had given up camping for Lent. <laughs> and I was coming down from our campsite down to where our minivan was, and our 13-year-old daughter Ashley was in front of the minivan. And I, the closer I got, I could see she was upset. And as I, I got up to her, I said, Ashley, what's wrong? And she, she was so frustrated. She said, I dropped my contact lens on the forest floor. And it just, and you could see these twigs mm-hmm. and leaves and crevices. I mean, the thing was gone. And I said, Ashley, let's pray. I said, freeze, don't move. And when I said, let's pray, she burst into tears and said, what good does it do? And her reason was, she said, I've prayed for... X amount of years that Kim would speak and she doesn't speak. And, you know, here Ashley was just so simple, like a little child, and God didn't hear her prayer. And I just prayed. I didn't know what to do. I prayed quietly. I said, God, this would be a really good time to come through. Because yeah. already we were starting to lose Ashley's heart. She was going to be, you know, very cute and vivacious and just Teenage being hood. seduced sure. by the, the world. Yes. And so I prayed, God, this would be a really great time to come through. And then I prayed with Ashley, Lord, show us where this lens is. And we bent down, and there was the lens. It's not just for ourselves that we cry for help. We have people in our lives that we can't help, people we love, who need the help of the Lord. And we need help knowing how to pray for them. Paul Miller from Philadelphia, author of A Praying Life, thanks for joining us again on the program You tell the story in your new book about somebody you really didn't like. Now, I know Christian teachers aren't supposed to do that, but this is reality, and you try to be real in your book, and I I think you are. Also, this person who you call Bob didn't like you either. Would you share that story with us? Bob is just one of these people you just sort of... You just want to get out of your life, but they can't. There's sort of permanent fixture in it. I never even prayed for Bob for 25 years. And about seven years ago, after I'd done the seminar probably about 10 times on prayer, I thought, you know, I should probably start praying for Bob. And almost immediately when I begin praying for him, all kinds of stuff begin to happen. And that's why I love following these stories that God does. He drew me into my own prayers. And when I, God put me in situations where I had to serve Bob. And Bob had never liked me. God's answer to my prayer for this guy who 
drives me nuts is to bring suffering into Bob's life so I have to serve him and that draws our relationship closer. It's just kind of neat. I had an answer in my relationship with Bob. I, I had been praying a scripture for Bob that he would have a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is almost totally missing from his life. I had never mentioned that to Bob in 30 years or the seven years I was praying that for him. And he came to me a week and a half ago and said that God was nudging him about having a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, I've got to tell you, I'm not big on methods and how to do lists when it comes to prayer. But Paul Miller, in his book on prayer, has a little practical idea that has literally changed Janet's and my prayer life the past few months. It's a way to intercede for the people we love, our spouses, our friends and children, our team here at Haven, whom I pray for every day. Paul, would you mind sharing with us just that practical advice that you give in your book, A Praying Life? Most of the things that God taught me about prayer came during a time of suffering. And in fact, the the suffering was so, uh, for me, intense that I, I, I was absolutely frozen spiritually. When I went to pray, my mind just went absolutely blank. I mean, I couldn't even go 30 seconds. There was no, it was just nothing. And the thought came to me, and I believe it was from the Lord, out of the blue, was just this little phrase, put the word to work. And I thought, what, how do I do that? And by word, the meaning was clear to me was scripture. So I got three by five cards, and I went through my entire life slowly, writing names of my kids down, names of my friends, and, you know, Bible studies I was in, what I wanted in that, and then writing a scripture next to that. But it's just, it's so much easier than a list, because what it allows you to do is it allows you to follow the story of what God does in that situation. And it's just so much richer, you know, so I've got scripture I'm praying for each one of my kids and some of them two or three scriptures, or scriptures for friends or situations. What happens then is is you can go back a few years later, and, and uh, you know, we all have kept prayer lists before, but prayer lists come and go. But you can go back to that child uh, that you're praying for, uh, that close friend, that person with a need, and you can say, ah, here's where the Lord moved. And uh, it's important that we not forget the Lord does answer prayer. And I would have forgotten what my prayers were. And as I watch, my, I think that's why often watch and pray are often put together. And actually, the other thing that's often put together is thankfulness. So thankfulness looks at God's past activity and prays thanking God for it. Watchfulness looks at his current and future activity. So praying and writing down what God's doing alerts me to the activity of God. Mm. And in our house, uh, my wife told me how I had to use four by six cards. So that's what she bought (laughs) me, and that's what she's using too. But I think the key to have the prayer request there, who you're praying for, and put a date down, and and then just the Lord will give us verses of Scripture uh, so that we're actually praying his word for our needs or requests that we've laid before him. I think that's what makes a difference. And I think since we're doing a series on prayer and we're talking about prayer today, I think we should close in prayer. Father, many people here are listening who have heart burdens that maybe no one else even knows about. 
And I pray, Father, that you would give them the courage to bring those heart burdens to you and not to be afraid of coming to you with the same heart burden every day. And I just I remember all the stories of your son Jesus to encourage us not to be afraid to come broken every day to you. And we come like the neighbor did, Father, banging on Uh, the door of his neighbor's house asking for three loaves of bread. And I pray that you would give us the shamelessness of that man and the shamelessness of the Syrophoenician woman who, who wouldn't let Jesus go to help her daughter. Give us that kind of shamelessness with our inadequacies, Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Great Stories podcast with Charles Morris. And I'm so glad you were able to spend some time with my old friend, Paul Miller. Now, if you want to hear more content like what you heard on today's episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please help us get the word out by leaving a five-star review. You can also go to haventoday.org to sign up for our weekly email and discover additional episodes posted on the blog. And as always, thank you for joining me once again on Great Stories with Charles Morris. Charles Morris.